Oh no. It's the American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Emmett McConnell. This week, Atlanta finally wins at home. New York City FC still yet to win at home. And Portland with another surprise road performance. Also, the Red Bulls finally get one right. Columbus continues to slide. And there's a 4-4 thriller in Kansas City. Believe it or not, it's against the Revolution. Also, Justin... The Colorado Rapids have parted ways with head coach Anthony Hudson. Strange to do so after a loss in Atlanta, not the easiest place to go, but it's much more likely that it was because of his comments after the match. We'll get to that soon enough, but first, let's get to the early match between New York City and Orlando City. With everything going their way, New York City was unable to find three points at home against Orlando City. And here I was thinking New York City had things figured out. I'll give them credit. They came from behind to get this draw, but Orlando still should have won it. If Dom Dwyer doesn't miss a point-blank header at the end, New York City will be facing its first home loss. As it is, it's Dwyer is, and it's who we thought he was, and he couldn't come through. That's not fair. Uh, he's the guy we expect to be making those headers. He's the poacher. Uh, but in the end, I don't think New York City even really earned anything in my eyes, despite the 66% possession. I think they were inferior. Orlando made the field small and didn't give any space to the Pigeons. Ridiculous name for them, by the way. New York City dearly miss a player like David Villa, and his ability to just run downhill. His movement is something that defenders have told me in interviews is almost impossible to defend. He was able to almost single-handedly stretch defenses and make space for the midfielders. As it is, Maxi Morales is swarmed whenever he gets the ball. He ended up creating the goal with a nice shot, but it was pulled out by a nicer save from Brian Rowe. Unfortunately for him, the Orlando defense was just sleeping on the rebound. Not a single player moved to try to make a clearance, and Hebert was left with a simple rebound. The signing of Hebert, I think, was a good one, because we're seeing that he's doing a little bit of the stuff that Villa could do. He's a good player, but I don't think he's as smart. I mean, Villa is a world-class talent, uh, but they, they definitely need a number nine who can stretch the field. And for all the good recent performances for New York City, this was a step back. It's the point where they were earlier in the season with all these home draws. Orlando, on the other hand, I think they deserve some credit. They've recently focused on defensive stability, and it's been paying off. There's enough offensive ability to nab a goal here and there. I mean, look at Nani, Sasha Klesch, and Dom Dwyer. They can, they can poach a goal or create something out of nothing. So why not secure the defense as the, most, the biggest priority? Other than that rather out-of-character Montreal game, Orlando has won or lost every match by one goal. They've gone on the road to Chicago, New York City, Newark Red Bulls, and gotten results. They almost fought back against D.C. and Real Salt Lake, and have shown that they still have some late-game magic in the Colorado and Vancouver games. As I see it, they've deserved some credit to be where they are in a playoff position, though it's still early, and how they are playing. But now they have a really tough stretch with Toronto, Atlanta, Seattle, and the Galaxy within their next five. I think these matches will be really important for them to not enter the slide they had last year. It was around the point where they had that six-game win streak where they hit a little bump and the team couldn't deal with the adversity and they fell into a black hole that just devoured them. I think May will determine if Orlando can keep up or if they remain in the bottom as in previous years. I think given the ownership's investments and the fan base loyalty, I would really like to see Orlando succeed. They've done a lot of good things in running this team, 
And I think this is finally putting a good, decent product on the field. The opponent they're going to have next week, Toronto, hosted Portland on a cold day who came away with a 2-0 victory. be honest, I was prepared for another dominant Toronto season just recently, but this match is giving me a little hesitation. They played only six matches so far before this. Most have played nine, but had the highest points per game in the East. Looking back, maybe they haven't been as dominant as I initially perceived. Maybe I'm looking too much into the Union game. The win in Philadelphia was a great start. They also think Philadelphia was playing like it was a preseason game and have since sorted out some of those problems. They narrowly beat a now last place team, New England, and then got all the plaudits, of course, in Pozuelo's debut in the 4-0 win versus New York City. But since then, they only have one win in four. They drew, they drew at home to a below-average Chicago team at home, lost in Seattle. I can forgive that one. Narrowly beat Minnesota at home 4-3 in a game where Minnesota had two red cards, and then lost at home to a ra- rather poor-performing Portland team. This isn't the Toronto team I thought initially, but it doesn't mean they aren't potentially a top-of-the-east ability. They just need a, ho- a healthy Josie, really, uh, which isn't all that common these days, unfortunately. I think with him and Paz up top, and the midfield of Bradley, Osorio, and Delgado, throw a five-man defense out there, this is still a good team. They'll learn how to play defense. It hasn't been great, but they're going to need five men back there. But I think we can't let the hubris just get to them yet. They still have to prove themselves. They go to Orlando and then Atlanta next before hosting the Union. All winnable from a Toronto point of view. But also, these are teams that won't make it easy. Atlanta obviously will want revenge for last year where they lost out on the Supporter Shield on the last day. And the same thing with the Union for the opener. By the end of May, Toronto could easily be first in the East. But if they play as they have recently, they might just be too reliant on the genius of Pozuelo. It's working for now, though. I've said it before about Portland, they will make the playoffs. Last year, they got a respectable 17 points from 17 road games. Currently, they are on 7 from 8. It's right on track, basically. They've still yet to play at home, but now with back-to-back road victories, they suddenly don't seem like the pushovers anymore from earlier in the season. They still have four road games before they host LAFC in June, just before the Gold Cup break. They will have cleared out 12 of 17 road games already by that point. That's 17 out of 22 remaining games at home. When you get that kind of consistency, things can start meshing and going well. Next up, they go to RSL, a squad that hasn't really figured it out just yet, especially given what we've seen last year, and then Vancouver. If you wanted to tell me that that could possibly be another back-to-back wins, I'd believe you. Four wins on the road last year, they have two already, they more or less have the same lineup with just a few shuffling around. I think losing Alvis Powell wasn't huge. As it seemed, Morera might be superior signing. Anyway, they pull out those two wins, and I might I might tell you Portland's got a chance to be a top three in the West. For another Western battle, a team that is also finding its form, San Jose once again gets a result, this time a nil-nil draw in Dallas. Things just keep getting better for San Jose. They were a game for other teams where two or three goals were guaranteed. Now, with this one, they're showing some defensive stability. I think with the man-to-man marking system, a team has to be aggressive in splitting the lines and breaking their press. 
you can't be reliant on passing out of the back, as we saw from this Dallas team. Same thing with Kansas City when they won 4-1. I'm excited to see where the Matias Almeida project goes from here. Next up, they host Cincinnati, go to New England, and host Chicago. They could very easily end up in a strong position when all is said and done with those three games. Those are not the hardest opposition. But before I get too crazy about them, however, I do want to point out that this could just be a small blip in form. I think they were better than the early games showed, but Cincinnati could be a tough one for them. The way that Cincy wants to hit on the break and send guys like Lamont and Cruz long, San Jose could be in his first surprise. And honestly, that's how teams like LAFC beat them 4-1 before. For nothing, I should say. Dallas, meanwhile, showed a little bit of inflexibility in this one. They were unable to change how they wanted to play to suit their opponent. I think this isn't a terrible idea most of the time, especially if you think and know what you can do can beat the other team. But in this instance, they very much were just a little too headstrong in trying to pass out of the bret, pass out of the back, and the plan B didn't seem well prepared. I think Dallas is still in a really good spot, and they played really well up to this point. I fully expect, however, to see them have a similar dip in form towards the end, just like last year. They have a really tough schedule coming up, going to Houston, hosting the Red Bulls, and then both legs against LAFC. I think these games will show us the true Dallas character. But once again, I, I, you know, I think they're probably comfortably a fifth or sixth place team in the playoffs. I also want to point out that San Jose beat Dallas twice last year. And yet, those were at the points when Dallas was first in the West and San Jose was comfortably bottom. The only teams they beat were Minnesota and Dallas, and they did it twice. Those were their only four wins. So before we get a little too ahead of ourselves, this could have been a case where San Jose is Dallas's bogey team and there isn't much else to look into it. But I think because it's different squads, different coaches, we're past that. This is a new San Jose team. This is a new Dallas team. New coaches, new tactics for both squads. On to the hometown team, the Philadelphia Union. They drew 1-1 in Vancouver this weekend. I think the Union get away with one in this. I mentioned on Twitter before the game that the Union would have to not go behind early on. The Vancouver defense has been fairly solid recently, though the offense isn't fantastic. Uh, they did go behind. Daniil Henry struck with a great header from a corner kick. But in all honesty, teams shouldn't be conceding too much from corners, and this one was it was a little tough. Trusty just got a pick set on him and wasn't strong enough to push through. So Union went into half down a goal. Uh, they didn't look great by my mind or create all that much. And in the end, it was Jamiro Montero with some really good pressure that created the goal. He pokes it away from Ali Adnan. Uh, and the big guy who doesn't seem all that fast, Kasper Perspilko, bursts away and puts a really good finish into the net. Vancouver will feel hard done by this one. They outshot and outpossessed their opponent, but couldn't hold on for the win at home. Uh, they're just one win in five now, one win overall, actually. Uh, while things are still improving for Vancouver, uh, but this is really a match they should see out for a 1 0 win. Uh, it showed a little bit of immaturity, and I think as this team moves forward, they will learn how to come out of a game like this with a win. I was very critical early on of Vancouver, and especially Mark Dos Santos, but these past few matches showed an increase in maturity. It's not there yet, but it's much better. Uh, they weren't just doing the same thing over and over and wondering why they weren't winning. They've changed things. <laughs> Colorado, cough, cough. I mean, you just seen the first two results, they lost 2-3 in back-to-back games. I think there's still more work to do, and I'm guessing with some more acquisitions and time, this could be a really good product. For the time being, 
uh, they'll have to continue to be stout defensively. It's got to be the number one priority and trying to grind out 1-0 results. Uh, they play in Colorado next, and I think if they want to see improvements and show that they have been improving, they're going to need a win from that one. Philly, meanwhile, are in a pretty good position, all things considered. Coach Jim Curtin has been really vocal recently about not being an average team anymore and pushing past that to being an elite. I think this is a really good example of what sticking with a coach can do. Listen, he isn't Tata Martino. He hasn't coached at Barcelona. Uh, and he's probably not even Bob Bradley. But he's still young for a coach. And he's developed a lot just like this team. And I'm glad he's making this push beyond obscurity. Uh, it's given him more pressure to succeed now that he's fighting for that. But right now, the Union have more grit than I've ever seen in the past. Uh, they already have one come-from-behind victory, and they came back for a draw here in British Columbia. In the past, they've never had the ability to come back and work a result from being down. That said, the Union should have won this if they wanted to be an upper echelon team. Luckily for them, no one in the East has proven that yet. That could be a case of the league improving, that there's less par- there's more parity. Uh, But I see it more of the top teams struggling with their identity and what made them successful in the past. Atlanta wasn't great because they passed teams to death. They were good when they hit on the break and were quick. Guys like Alvin Rohn just bursting by people. The Red Bulls weren't great because they just did it all. They passed. I mean, I I digress. The Union are still in a position to become a top three team or four in the East. Uh, Maybe even better if the likes of Atlanta and the Red Bulls don't figure it out soon. The Union now have six games in May, and five of them are at home. Cincinnati today, uh, and New England as well this week. Then at Toronto, then host Seattle, Portland, and Colorado. Colorado. Uh, A Union writer recently claimed that they should win six games over the next eight. Uh, They have a home and away for the other two, and then draw the two road games. 20 points? Yeah, that's really freaking good, and perhaps just a little overzealous. Uh... It would put them at 34 points at the halfway spot of the year and on pace for a 68-point season. If you remember last year, Atlanta had 69, the Red Bulls had 71. I think, yeah, if the elite Union want to be elite, this is a good benchmark. you got to win at home. But I think, given every team's position right now, that would make the Union pretty much a clear leader for first place. I think it's important to get to expect points to get for most encounters. But I think when it comes to it first you actually have to get results start winning games go through a season with really good performances then come back next year and expect greatness but don't pull an atlanta and get too cocky get too complacent speaking of atlanta they finally do win at home but just one nil against colorado i'd say just because there's been at least three or four goals in at least every single one of their games so atlanta was pretty unconvincing in this one they had a large chunk of possession like everyone expected, but only had three shots on target. By the way, the same as Colorado. The Rapids sat deep and defended actually pretty well for once. It appears a lot of teams haven't realized that deep defending works against Atlanta, I guess. Uh, Everyone's catching on and making it tough to get results, and why not try it? They don't seem to have the creativity or even the desire to play the ball forward into spaces or make runs to break down a defense. I haven't seen this static of an attack since Chelsea. Uh, The one goal from Atlanta ends up coming from a turnover. Keegan Rosenberry tries to pass the ball out from the end line. Darlington Nagby picks it off and just goes for a run. Uh, This game could have easily ended nil-nil had Colorado just launched that ball away. 
I said it last week, but with the talent of Atlanta players, I'm surprised these types of goals don't happen more. They should just be getting goals from individual talent there alone. I know that's not a good coaching strategy, but DeBoer is kind of choking that creativity out of his team with all the sideways passing. And in fact, with just that skill alone, Anthony Hudson, as I mentioned before, had something to say about this. His quote, Today was just another example of the real golfing class. I think every single game we're playing against a team and their DPs are making a difference. People think we're on the same level. We are not. A lot to break down in this, but this is coming from a guy, maybe he didn't make the final decision, but still was there for it, who signed Tommy Smith for TAM, Yannick Boley for TAM, Jack Price, Danny Wilson, Johan Blomberg. A lot of guys coming from across the pond that just didn't make it. Then this year signed Keegan Rosenberry, Diego Rubio, Kai Kamara, Nicholas Mesquita, Benny Failhaber. There's a few big earners in there, to be honest, and a few big names as well. I mean, Tim Howard's making over $2 million. Uh, and even in the past, I guess they've done well to get rid of guys like Skelton Gashi and Yannick Boley. But they were replaced by Kamara, who makes, you know, still makes a million dollars. I think that you know, he's brought in all these defenders and they've just not been good enough. And I'm wondering how much of that comes down to him, came down to him now that he's gone, and how much of it was just making bad signings. Uh, I did a little math. The front five for Colorado earned a combined $2.3 million. Atlanta's front five, I actually can only find the front four's um, money, was $3.4 million, and that's without Pitti Martinez, who I'm cons- assuming probably makes well over a million dollars. So it's probably over double of the attacking um, of the money in the attack for Atlanta. But, I mean, that hasn't... That hasn't slowed other teams that have played Atlanta. Look at Dallas. Jesus Ferrer, Paxson Pomichol, making minimum wage in, not minimum wage, but league minimum, and tearing Atlanta apart. Doesn't really come down to money all that time. And along with that, Colorado has just wasted too much money on all these signings. And there's nothing to show for it. In Hudson's 46 games, he's 8, 10, and 28. 8 wins, 28 losses, 10 draws, a 17 winning percentage. Well, Anthony, here's something. Montreal is tied for first in the East with a roster that isn't chock full of big names. I think there's a way to go about things, and in this one, he actually got his tactics pretty right. He's tinkered a lot in the past. He had a 5-4-1 in this, but 4-4-1-1 in the previous, 4-4-2 before that. And I would say that if he's worried about his side's talent, most of which, again, was brought under his tenure, then continue to play the 5-4-1. Again, I wrote this before he got fired because that happened literally just before uh, I started recording. But frustrate teams. Be defensive. Look how Vancouver's been doing recently, getting, you know, beating LAFC, drawing Seattle, drawing the Union. Secure a few shutouts before you try to get three goals every game. Andrew Wiebe of MLSsoccer.com has given some sort of praise to Colorado for being the most entertaining team in MLS. But guess what? Entertaining doesn't always get you results. Whoever comes in for Colorado, keep this setup. It almost worked. And I think that's about the best you have so far in trying to get results. Another struggling team, the New York Red Bulls, won 1-0 against FC Cincinnati. As much as I criticized Vancouver for not seeing out with a 1-0 victory, I think the Red Bulls tried too hard to see out this one. The last 20 or so minutes was more or less a barrage from a Cincy team that isn't a whole much of an attacking threat. The Red Bulls should be a strong enough team to see out victories like this one comfortably and push for a second or third. I think anything other than a win here, though, would have been a certain catastrophe. 
this isn't the same team for some reason that broke the points record last year despite having the same players. And it's in danger of languishing at the bottom outside of the playoffs this year. Funnily enough, little stat, they have conceded just nine goals, which is second best in the East behind Atlanta with eight, both outside the playoffs uh, and both seeming to win or lose by one nothing every game. It may seem odd to say, but with most, with both teams keeping a strong enough defense, I think the results are going to turn around. The problem is those defense aren't actually as strong as they seem. The onslaught at the end of this game was more of luck for the Red Bulls than being a great defense. They got outpassed. They got outpossessed, outpassed by Cincinnati at home. That's really worrying, even though they got the win. Cincinnati doesn't do that to anyone, not even at home. Uh, I'm guessing there'll be a few more results like this, uh, where they get the points but don't seem too convincing in the near future. Uh, but to be honest, that's what good teams need to do to get back into form. Especially when they aren't playing well, you've got to get results. Uh, while some of the upcoming games aren't exactly easy, the Red Bulls are a team that shouldn't really need to worry about strength of schedule or difficulty. They should be confident of being the superior team and getting results. See what I mentioned about the Union earlier? Get results on a consistent basis, and then you expect the results. It can lead to complacency, but given what Armas did last year, I, I have enough faith in that he'll figure things out and turn it around. They host the Galaxy next weekend, then the Montreal impact before going to Dallas. Losing to Galaxy at home isn't out of the question given both teams' forms. And again, it would be a disaster to lose another one at home. Cincinnati, meanwhile, is really not looking that good. The way they're currently playing might be a little harsh, but I think they look a little bit like a USL team. They can go on the road and steal some points here and there, but as long as the home team is doing what they should, not making mistakes... It really shouldn't be an issue, like it was in the Red Bull game. Cincinnati fans are real passionate, and I think this is a team that could turn it around. Uh, And I kind of compare them to Minnesota when they entered the league. They had a couple signings, who, who, you know, some big signings like Adi or whoever. But it's still more or less the team that came up. It doesn't look strong enough. Uh, The difference is that Cincinnati has been setting up to defend, and they seem to understand their weaknesses, especially in the midfield. Uh, it should make them tough to play for the time being, but it won't be enough for a playoff spot unless they figure out how to be really tough to play against, how to be a real nuisance. We'll see if they improve when they get Adi back, but I'm not so sure. Next up, today, they go to Philadelphia. They're in Philadelphia. Go to San Jose and then host Montreal. I actually think the San Jose game, as I mentioned earlier, could be one where they have a lot of success. Montreal, though, will be tough. They've been proven to defend against any type of team. And I wouldn't be surprised either, to be honest, if they surprise Philly. A union or team that can get isolated in the back. Their decision to push forward in the attack can often leave them overexposed. And that's why they've struggled against Montreal, usually. This is their first win at Talent Energy Field this season against Montreal. First time they've ever done it. Uh, so that'll be interesting tactical matchup to see how Curtin tries to defend against the pace of Cincinnati. Last time they played, since he had a couple instances of pushing them on the break, but the torrential rain seemed to just make it too hard to play at that high of a speed. Uh, I think it'll come down to how stout since he can be on defense. Uh, even if Cincinnati get an early goal on the break, I'm not entirely sure they'll be strong enough to prevent the Union attack from getting at least two goals at home. 
over to the Houston Dynamo, who are just continuing to roll with a 2-0 win over a Columbus side who's admittedly in poor form. First on the Houston side, things are going well. They've scored 12 goals in 5, and really only looked uncomfortable against the Galaxy so far. But despite how good they've been, I'm still somewhat unconvinced. Uh, the media in MLS, for what you'd call it, um, is really starting to give Houston the plaudits that they've deserved, to be fair. But the results, you know, they were against Colorado and Vancouver, two weak teams. They narrowly beat Montreal late in that game before Montreal was figuring out uh, their tactics. They beat this Columbus team in, four, in poor form and San Jose before they started hitting their form. Uh, so forgive me for being pessimistic, but the Galaxy and the Impact were the first real opponents of them so far, I guess. You could call that nitpicky, uh, and I do this for every team, to be fair, but I'm wondering how things will be going moving forward. I mean, They host Dallas, Texas Derby, uh, then they go to Seattle, host Portland, D.C., and then go to Minnesota to round out May. I actually think they could do quite well in this period, but... Uh, but it'll really be a sink or swim time for them. They're currently in fifth, 16 points from just seven matches, which is fantastic. Uh, you Having over two points per game is very, very strong. Uh, interestingly, though, they have just about the same, just a little bit different, uh, points per game as LAFC at this point, who have 2.3. Houston has 2.29. That's second only to the Galaxy at this point. Uh, so things are going really well in Houston, especially because they almost got a result against the Galaxy. Uh, and they aren't getting as much attention as they should, you know, top, two, top top three in the West maybe. And it sounds like maybe I'm flip-flopping here. Maybe I am. They are good. Uh, but I'm not convinced that they are that good until I see it. Uh, I do think that eventually they're going to hit a poor patch. Albert Elise has been fantastic, kind of gone under the radar as an MVP candidate. But end of last year was really rough for him. Goals and assists did not come frequently. I think if they get through May doing well, I'll give them a serious second look as a team that should be feared uh, because that's a period where they play some top teams. Columbus, meanwhile, is not doing much to inspire hope. Uh, that's right. Uh, I mean, they're on a four-game slide right now. Losses in Montreal and at home to Portland and D.C. before this one. In the beginning of the season, I was praising Caleb Porter for keeping the magic going from last season. You know, that Greg Burhalter defense uh, grinding out results. Now he's facing the adversity that always happens to a team at some point. Columbus is not a team that's swamped with talent, unfortunately. They rely on tactics and smart movements and tough defense. Scoring just one goal in four matches is really worrisome. Uh, but maybe not as much for them as conceding seven goals in four games. Like I said, this isn't a team that's going to score four goals in any given game. They rely on one-nil victories, maybe two-one. Uh, and like so many teams that hit poor form, they're now going to have to seal up the defense as a first priority. The problem is they hit this patch at the worst possible time. Next, they have to go to D.C., they host the Galaxy and LAFC, and then go to Minnesota. Four losses could certainly be on the cards here. So four tough teams. And what a disaster that would be for their season. Eight straight losses is not something that's easy to come back from. In fact, I would wager another four losses would essentially put Columbus out of contention and make the playoffs come the end of the season. Not that they are don't have a chance, but that's just really hard to come back from. Look at Orlando last year. It'll really going to be important going into D.C. this weekend, at least earning a draw. 
getting a point here. You can't. So then if they lose to the Galaxy, that would be six in a row. you got to stop the losing streak with a draw at least. Team that did get a draw, New England Revolution. But they almost took three points from Kansas City. 4-4 draw. What a thriller. I mean, what can be said about this game that hasn't already been said? I still stand by the fact that the CONCACAF Champions League has more or less short-circuited a lot of these teams early season, and that's contributed to their failures. Uh, this is nothing short, in my mind, a perfect example of this. New England has scored more than one goal only twice, two versus Minnesota at home and two in the Toronto game. I mentioned how I began to lose faith in Toronto when looking back, this is a pretty good example because this is not a high-scoring team. They've been shut out five times in ten games. A team like Kansas City that prides itself on defense should surely be able to beat another one of those. But no, it's four goals. Uh, and they had only scored six up until this point in total. That's what now? I think that's uh, ten goals conceded by Kansas City in, what was it, three games? Unbelievable for a team that's so prideful on defense. Uh, I'll start with New England. I'll throw in here that they did have two red cards in this match. And it's crazy to think that Kansas City didn't even win this one, given that information. However, with a little more context, New England was up 3-1 at one point. They should have won this one. They should have settled down and figured out how to run out this win. As much as I've backed up Friedel and said the team isn't good enough, uh, just as he said, this is the kind of game that proves that maybe that isn't the case. Maybe I was wrong. His guys got him four goals. He should have prepared them better defensively and set this up. I firmly believe a coach can have that much bigger of an impact on a good defense than a good offense. It's harder to do that. It's it's tough. There's not that many coaches that impact an offense. I mean, like Pep, that, there's one. Uh, Luis Fernando Caicedo had two goals. Before this game, they had just one shot on target from center forwards all year. So this is a nice improvement, but there's still more work to do. On the Kansas City side, it's important to note that they're feeling the injury bug like Toronto from last year. Ilya Sanchez, Matt Bezler, Roger Espinosa, the most recent and important of those. Espinosa tore his PCL and will be out a few months. I actually, uh, I can relate to that. I also tore my PCL, believe it or not. It's an incredibly rare injury. It's probably why you haven't heard of it all mu that much. Uh, the most common way that someone tears their PCL is if they're in a car accident and their knee bumps into the uh, the console in front of them and it just forces the tendon in the back of their knee out. It's actually not a tendon that's necessary, so he's not going to need surgery, but he'll need to rehab to fix it up. So just a nice little tidbit about me and my injury past. Matt Beasler, meanwhile, is out up to four weeks with a hamstring injury, suffered in the San Jose game. Uh, and Ilya was dealt with an injury, it seemed, in the New England game. And just ahead uh, just ahead of the New England game, uh, he was in training beforehand but was listed as questionable and only played 45 minutes in that one. I think we're starting to see some problems with the depth, the depth of Kansas City. Uh, but the reason they're facing this is the, is the Champions League. I stand by it. I do remember, however, that Kansas City was leaking goals early last year as well. It was like a 3-2 game in Chicago. Vermees figured that one out quickly enough, and defense became one of the best in the league shortly after, so I expect that again. Speaking of defense, how about Montreal? The 1-0 win over Chicago with just its second home match of the season. They tied D.C. for first in the East. I think quality rises to the top, and unfortunately Montreal doesn't have oodles of it. However, that doesn't mean uh, 
doesn't mean much because there doesn't appear to be all that much in the East right now. I think DC probably will jump further up, but right now Remy Gard is the better coach and thus getting the better results. The thing for them is, once Piotti returns, who knows when that will be, Montreal will suddenly have a massive raise in quality. I think signing Omar Brown can quickly become a starter in the right wing, and a front line of Brown, Uruti, and Piatti is by no means lacking quality. It might not be first place quality, but Montreal in current form and the way they're looking is a playoff team with a home game in the first round. I'm glad to see that this is a team that isn't trying to score three or four goals every match. That seems most MLS teams have been for the past few years. It pretty quickly shows the gap in quality. When teams are smart enough to defend well like Montreal, you get results. Colorado, New England, pay attention. Because that's, that's how you get results and that's how you become tied for first in the East. Next up, they host New York City, go to the Red Bulls, and then Cincinnati. Uh, the thing is, I think they can drop points to anyone, you know. But if they get things right, they play smart, they can also beat anyone. So it's a Montreal team to look out for. They can get a clean sheet on any given day. Chicago isn't really a great team, to be fair. They showed us that in their two games this past week, uh, losing one nothing. There certainly is a lot of attacking quality, but again, there's no fullbacks. I'm sure this is going to I'm sure this isn't going to be a simple tactical fix. I sort of want them to go back to a five-back system so as they're not isolating Schweinsteiger as center back. Uh, and the the problem is this team has four really good players, but not a full eleven of starting quality. Maybe they'll surprise me like New England didn't put up four goals. But now they go to LAFC. I'll be bold and say they won't score four. The good thing for the Fire is that they're in eighth place, nine points, just three back from New York City and Orlando. So they're still in the hunt. Again, it's early on. It's weird to talk about playoffs, but that, that's the end goal, right? Uh, and I think that they'll be in that similar position for a while. Uh, but since they kind of just keep playing the same way without really changing all that much, more or less every game, I think this is going to catch up to them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't make some major changes that they end up closer towards the bottom. They appear to be somewhat closer to Cincinnati and New England right now, which is a shame because the Fire is a lot of attacking talent. A lot more than either of those two sides. Nico Gaetan, Alexander Katai, Georgi Mihailovic, Alexander Nicholas. Really fun guys to watch, uh, and I hope they start figuring that out. DC suffered a tough loss to Minnesota at Allianz Field. Angelo Rodriguez popped up for a late winner in the 82nd minute. Uh, Donovan Pines thought he had his first MLS goal, but was brought back by VAR. Vito Benone made a good initial save on this one on Lucas Rodriguez, but in the end, is, I think, bailed out by VAR. It was a judge that Frederick Briant had his hand on the keeper's shoulder, and it was thus pulling the keeper down. It's the right call. I mean, I'm a goalie. I'm not just saying that because I'm a goalie. Uh, but Manone has to do better, I think, even with Briant there. I'm not sure he gets to the ball. He's going through like six of his own guys and attacks it with the wrong hand and just flaps at it. Uh, part of that, again, is because Briant has his arm on Manone. But in the end, I can't see this as anything but Minnesota getting bailed out. Not that it's the wrong call, but they were in a lot of trouble given how they were dealing with it. It's a shame for Pines, though, as he's looking like quite the young talent, and you can see how much this goal meant to him. Just his third start so far, but I'm expecting big things from this kid. And at 6'5", I think a bunch more goals, too. He got way up there for that one. I don't think Minona gets his hands that high. Uh, Minnesota appeared to have flatlined a bit since the start when they got the two early wins. The problem is the West is a lot more competitive than the East. Honestly, I, I expect this new home field 
to give Minnesota a bigger boost. I expected it to. But it really doesn't feel that way. They drew New York City and were bailed out on that one by that Sean Johnson howler. They eked out a draw against the Galaxy where they were second best. And then this late winner against D.C. It's no losses yet. They have three of their four wins coming from road games so far. And despite the loss to New England, have been competitive and only lost by one goal in each. And they've been mostly exciting in those games. I mean, 4-3 loss to Toronto. 2-1 win in the Red Bulls. That one without Darwin Quintero. Uh, to be fair, seems a bit flat themselves, maybe dealing with an injury. This weekend they host Seattle, then go to Chicago and host Columbus. There's a couple tough games coming up, but I think mid to late summer will treat them well. Uh, they also look like maybe they had the favorable part of their schedule in the beginning, uh, when neither New York team was looking good also. DC, meanwhile, is really tough to read. Everyone kind of thought they would be favorites after blowing out Atlanta. Uh, then they drew New York City there, never easy. Blew out RSL, followed by a well-fought victory in Orlando, all things looking good. They, they appeared to be doing everything necessary to be a champion in the East, but then started to fall apart. The 4-0 loss at home to LAFC seemed to unsettle them. They then drew Montreal at home, a game they probably expected to win. Escaped Colorado with a narrow 3-2 victory, closer than it should have been for a team that wants to win the East. Then lost at home to New York City. Beat a struggle in Colorado, followed by this, two, followed by this loss. 2-1-2 two, two since the LAFC game. And really, each of those games should have been winnable, especially the home games. And I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith. Maybe seem weird, I'm losing faith in a lot of teams. But given uh, the next team in the standing is Montreal, Philly, Toronto, and Columbus... Maybe I'm being too critical. The East looks really open this year. Teams have to take advantage when they can. You never know if or when Atlanta or either New York team is going to turn it on and start winning every week. DC is still the favorites, but they're certainly flawed. Lucho Acosta hasn't improved, uh, not improved, hasn't impressed me as much this season, and he often goes missing in these games. Uh, and I think their big weakness so far is depth. I think Donovan Pines and Chris Durkin are the only two guys who I'm comfortable with stepping in. Otherwise, they need Mora and Hara at fullback. They need Canals or Moreno in the midfield. Uh, and I especially think they need the front four of Wayne Rooney, Lucho, Paul Ariola, and Lucas Rodriguez. Throw Alyssi Segura in front of them, and that team suffers greatly. Next up, they host Columbus, and then Sporting Kansas City before heading to Toronto, ahead of a three-game road stand. Now to the big game from Sunday. The Seattle Sounders fended off the bloodthirsty LAFC side for 70 minutes with 10 men. I'm sure you've heard plenty of it, but the red card to Christian Roldan was just silly. And I say that not because I had him on my fantasy team. Yes, Roldan's hand connects with Atueta's face, but there's no malicious intent. And I think that the wording should be added for that into the rules. As it is, the wording is negligible force, and that's a little subjective. To be fair, both are. Uh, but it also doesn't take into account enough scenarios like this one. I think this is a really good chance to take a nice long look at the law and make a subtle change to it. Roldan was just in a little pushing battle before it happened, and as his arm is extended, he's pushed, and as a result, his hand comes up and brushes Atuesta. I know in the letter of the law that is a red. But I'm going to come back to Andrew Wiebe. Like he said on Twitter, this is a case that needs to be approached with common sense. Uh, Seattle did later receive another red card for Dogso. Always fun to say, denial of a goal-scoring opportunity from Kevin Leardam on Diego Rossi. This one was correct, but it really only impacted the last few minutes. It ended up being 1-1, and 
But Christian Ramirez, he had a chance that really should have been buried for the win. He skies it from like two feet away. I will give Seattle some credit for defending for 70 minutes to get the draw, but LAFC should really be better. Seattle didn't even really try all that much to attack. They had a couple. Uh, I thought Diego Rossi wasn't that involved. Neither was Vela outside of the goal uh, from both. Uh, they've proven the ability to break down defenses, but they just didn't have it in this night afternoon. Honestly, I thought uh, at one point I left the room and came back that they must have been tied because they really were too tentative poking and prodding the defense. They weren't looking for holes and pushing them aggressively. It seemed like they were a little terrified to actually push through and get a goal for the chance of being hit on the break. That's unlike them. Until proven otherwise, though, these two are the best in the league right now. I'm half expecting Seattle have a meltdown period, though. Uh, that usually happens at the beginning of the season for them, but since they're past that point, I don't know if it will happen. LAFC will probably end up like Atlanta last year, uh, and at a certain point won't be scoring three to four goals a game like in this one, and will be grinding out 1-0 victories. Uh, but that's what good teams do, uh, especially when opponents will do anything to stop them. And we'll see if LAFC can make that adjustment. Uh, honestly, I see them more likely to keep trying to push out three to four goals a game and potentially getting 3-3 draws than the 1-1 draw we saw this weekend. Uh, next, Seattle visits Minnesota before hosting Houston and Orlando. I have a feeling uh, this will be a tough, tough stretch uh, for them, and Seattle will probably end up with one win, one draw, and one loss. I uh, can't say to who just yet. LAFC, then host Chicago, go to Columbus, then host Dallas. And again, they visit them right after doing both legs back-to-back. Other LA team, Zlatan. He plays hero once again in Los Angeles, rescuing three points against Real Salt Lake. The Galaxy have really become hard to beat this year. It's the complete opposite of last year, and it's an absolute testament to the head coach, Guillermo Berrios-Scolotto. RSL has yet to really get in their stride, but they looked really good for like 25 minutes in the second half. Uh, If they keep playing like that, they could be as difficult as last year where they were taking down teams left and right. I think the big talking point from this match was the scuffle between Zlatan and Unoha. Unoha. Close. Ibra horse-collar Unoha uh, and received a yellow for the foul. Then there's a little mouthing off to the defender. Uh, he later scored the winner and made sure to get into the RSL defender's face. After the game, he went into the locker room of Real Salt Lake to apologize, which, I mean, good for him. But I can see why Onuoha was unwilling to accept it. Uh, at the same time, I think things on the field are different than off of it. I'm all four players going at it with other with the other uh, and trying to get to the mental edge. However, I think Zlatan should have gotten a second yellow for his interaction with Onuoha. Uh, there's a famous incident where Rud van Nisselrooy was tripped for missing an early penalty uh, and scored later only to gloat in the defender's face who gloated at him before. He got a yellow for it, and that was appropriate. Uh... And I think it would have been again. But again, I like saying the fire and competitive edge in MLS, where rivalries and competition seem a little less aggressive than in European games, where the history is there and a little bit longer that MLS doesn't really have. RSL hosts Portland next, uh, who surprised their last two opponents, and then had the Rocky Mountain Derby. So tough, two tough games, even with Colorado's form. That's a big derby. LA Galaxy go to the Red Bulls. That should be a really good match. Uh, the Galaxy are tough right now. The Red Bulls still have the ability to get a result against anyone. So I'm looking forward to that. Potentially my game of the week. Uh, That's it, though. That is all the time that I have this week on the American Soccer Show. Check out some of the past episodes if you have the heart. Until next time, I'm Emmett McConnell signing off.